0: My name is Keith Beavers, and a single strand of spaghetti is called a spaghetto. But like, who actually asks for? I need one spaghetto, not two. One spaghetto. Who does that? What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine One Hundred and One Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers and I am the tastings director of Vine Pear. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about you. (laughs) I got a lot of listener questions. I can only fit some of them in. So I kind of cherry picked a little bit, but some good ones are here. Let's do a listener question episode. You guys want to do that? Let's do that. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Talbot Vineyards. Whether you're Hosting a casual cheese plate night or a spontaneous dinner party, Talbot's 2019 Sleepy Hollow Vineyard Pinot Noir makes a perfect companion. With dense, rich cherry notes on the nose, a soft, plush mouthfeel, and a classic Pinot Noir attitude, this wine is a straight-up crowd-pleaser. And the accessible price point and screw cap mean it's ready for any occasion. I like to enjoy mine with a weekly board game night. You guys into board games? Board games are cool. To try Talbot's 2019 Sleepy Hollow Vineyard Pinot Noir, visit TheBarrelRoom.com. I got to say, you know, I'm always really um, just impressed with the questions that I get for a listener question episode because, I mean, I, I put it out on Instagram a couple times and I got a bunch of DMs. I find it so cool because we've been doing Wine 101 for, gosh almost five years now. And every year we do a listener question episode. But what I love about wine is that although we, we've covered a lot of ground, there's always new stuff to be learned. And I just find that just, God, isn't wine, ugh, wine, <laughs> so awesome. Okay. Anyway, there was a lot of questions, so I had to kind of cherry pick, but these are really fun So let's just get into it. Oh, and because these are all from Instagram, I did take screenshots. And some of these screenshots, I actually don't have the names of people. So I'm just going to exclude names. But if you're listening, you'll know who you are. So the first question came to me about the methodology of evaluating evaluating wine. Specifically, how does that work? You know, there's a point systems, there's, there's point systems, there's you know uh, five one through five, there's a stars. there are star systems but what exactly happens when you're evaluating wine? and this let's talk about this because at vine pair we you know I'm I'm the guy that reviews the wines I and I give them scores so a few years ago um, a couple of years ago we developed our own point system, the 100 point system. before that, we had a grading system of A-plus through B-minus. And we really enjoyed that one um, because it was different than everybody else, of course. But the thing is, you know, the 100-point system is a kind of part of the American wine culture. Robert Parker pretty much made that almost like a religion, if you will, in wine. And the thing about the 100-point system, it was based off of the... American grading system. That's why we used the A through B, you know, you know, A, A plus through B minus and stuff like that. But, um, when we developed our, our 100 point system, we made sure to develop a system different than everybody else's because every 100 point system that exists has its own set of criteria of how that, uh, publication, if you will, wants to approach wine. And, the thing about wine is it's so subjective right so what are we looking for we want to make sure that the the tangibles of the wine are sound first you know i mean when i do a review about wine i don't often do descriptors i do descriptors if they're obvious like blueberries in merlot cherries in um Pinot Noir or blackberries and pepper in like Cabernet Sauvignon or just like cracked black pepper in, in Cab Franc. These are just very obvious, uh, things that, okay, that's great, but I don't really like to go down rabbit holes of some descriptions of things that our readers may not know. So I always like to start with texture. And this is just me, you know, I, I, every, everyone who tastes wine is different, but I thought I would just kind of give my, my sense of it. So, you know, the nose for me is, is important and aromas aren't as important as just the smell of the wine. You can kind of get a sense if something's going on there. And if it's a flaw, it's not necessarily doesn't have to be the winemaker's fault. It just could be science the The way to really get a wine is on on the palate. It's the textures, is are the tannins. If it's a red wine, are the tannins well woven into the wine? Are they well integrated? Um, are they part of the complexity of the wine, or is the tannin just so intense that it takes over everything? Same with acidity. Does acidity do the job of brightening the wine up? And so acidity doesn't have to be a, a lot, doesn't have to be a lot of acidity. It could be like a medium acidity. Acidity done well, no matter what wine is being made, will lift the more heftier elements of a wine up on the palate and allow you to enjoy those elements a little bit more, whether it's red or white red, it's pretty important. Like you have a really big, full-bodied 14.5% Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. That's going to be a big wine. But if you sip that wine and it's like, oh man, this is a really nice, smooth, this is really cool. A lot of that has to do with the acidity in the wine being at a point where it's not allowing the wine to overwhelm your palate. That's kind of what you're looking for. Um, does the acidity, do the tannins interfere with the fruit? The, I call it the core of fruit of the wine. Like I feel like sometimes the fruit kind of emanates from the center of the wine. It's just a weird visual that I have of it. And as it emanates out of the center of the wine, it the acidity and the tannin do things to either counter its blossoming or to allow it to do so. And it really is depending on which wine you're tasting and what you're looking for and what kind of quality in which region that'll give you that. So it's a very intense, uh, subjective, but I-, I guess what you have to do, you have to be honest, honest about what you think about a wine and you have to think about it with every consumer in mind, because the thing is, when you're evaluating a wine, you're putting a score on it, which is a weird thing too. Because you're like, what's the difference between a 93 and a 94? It's weird, guys. But when you're in when you're in it, there is a difference, and you're just trying to find that nice balance. But the thing is, w- when I'm reviewing wine, what we're doing here at VinePair, we you are listening to Wine 101, you're reading VinePair because you're on a journey. You're looking, you want to move forward, and I don't know where you are on that journey, but I know you're going somewhere. So the review and the score is meant to inform and help you make a decision about a wine, no matter the price. I have given 92 points to $15 bottles of wine. I've given lower, price, lower points to the more expensive bottles of wine. It's all about the quality of the wine, and that's just how we do it. I hope that helped. Another question was about barrels and like there's a, there's a story where the the Romans learned about barreling from the Scots. And I don't know of that. I don't know. I was looking that up. I'm not really sure, but what I do know is there was a time, it, the world, the era of exploration, we talked about this in a previous episode, but the era of exploration I think was the time when we realized barrels did things to wine and they started with fortified wines and as, um, that the fortified wine thing happened where these barrels are on ships lulling their way through and oxidizing and all this stuff and making, doing amazing things. And they, I think people would have then employ this in cellars with still wine. And I think that's how it started, but I'm not really totally sure. I want to do an entire episode on cooperage and stuff like that. And then I got a really fun one. This is, um... These people—they were having a a debate about whether to decant wine in glass or plastic, and if there's any difference in that. And the thing is, glass is always going to be better for wine. That's just it, because the glass will not interfere with the wine. If you put wine in plastic, especially a standard kind of plastic, like let's say you put it into a, a a water bottle. Water bottles, mylar balloons, clamshell packaging, microfiber towels—they're all made from this specific kind of polymer called polyethylene terephthalate. And this is this is a good plastic, you know, to put to put wine. in. there's actually a, a company out there called Go, Govino, and they have a decanter that has this kind of polymer that you can decant and put wine in. It's going to work. The thing is the reason why plastic doesn't really work for the long term is it can eventually take on the wine can take on the taste of the plastic. So I wouldn't suggest putting wine in like a milk jug, but I would say maybe putting it into a, a plastic carafe that you can get from like any store or Govino, or if you put it in a wine a water bottle, it'll be fine. It's not going to take on the actual plastic right away, but Because it's a water bottle, it doesn't have a wide mouth and it can't really oxidize. But plastic's not terrible, glass is better. Then I got a question about wine faults, like specifically a cooked wine or a red wine that kind of feels fizzy. What is it all about? Well, the cooked wine is a situation where the the bottle itself is probably stored improperly in a warm environment. And that warmth started creating... In, like enzymatic reactions in the bottle and sort of expedited the process of the wine being turned towards vinegar, meaning developing more acetaldehyde, which is the main ingredient in vinegar and what wine will eventually go to be. If you keep a wine out for quite some time, it's going to turn to vinegar. So that's that. And I would definitely return the bottle. If the bottle is red wine and it has bubbles in it, but it's not supposed to. This is just things in the wine are creating CO2. And the only way things can create wine, CO2 is through fermentation and bacterial um, interactions. Either there's some CO2 got trapped in the bottle during the bottling process, which it happens on a very kind of large scale, or there's still live yeast cells in the bottle or bacteria that interacts with the residual sugar in the wine. So it's basically just like, is there, is there something in there still trying to eat the sugar and convert it into ethanol and carbon dioxide or something else in carbon dioxide? This is like Britannomyces, which is a yeast that kind of continues to eat after the good yeast is dead um, or inert, this is usually combated through SO2 sulfur um, dioxide using sulfur dioxide in moderate amounts, which almost every winemaker does um, will just inhibit all of this. So if you get a wine and it's red and it has fizziness in it, either it was kind of made that way. And cause cause there's a, there's a, there's something called natural wine happening right now. It's really an undefined term, but people tend to drink wines in these natural wine circles that have been infected with, there have been infected with these bata- bacterias and are interacting with the RS. And actually they believe the wine actually, it, it, it actually adds to the complexity of a wine or it was unintentional. And the wine making was a little bit messy. There's also in white wine and sometimes in red wine, there are, there's a high levels of malic acid. It's a very sharp acid and it kind of goes through malolactic fermentation or malolactic conversion. That conversion does create some fizz. But these days you kind of have to be careful. If you buy a bottle of wine and it has this stuff and you don't like it and you return it, because of the natural wine scene happening right now, the the merchant may not take it back because like they're tell, they'll tell you it's a quote-unquote natural wine. But I would say always try to bring it back if something that you think the wine is flawed because you know, it can actually be an educational process for you. And then this question comes up often. So I want to just address this question because people often reach out saying, how do I get my start? Do I do, do I do BSOM? Do I do the CSW? Do I do WSET? What do I do? I want to get into wine. So getting into wine doesn't really require a curriculum. I have never been into any of them. I'm a self-taught wine person because I just, obviously, you know, I'm obsessed with this stuff. But if you want a curriculum, if you want something to kind of help you through, um, these programs are designed to give you the wine knowledge you need for either going straight into fine dining, which is the sommelier, or getting your certification in wine knowledge to do whatever you want with it. These courses will streamline I mean the 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 som certification is long and expensive and very 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 involved. The other ones WSET, CSW, these are involved. There's they're absolutely involved, but they're also a little bit not expedited but there's they don't they're not, they're fast. You know, you, you, you get your certification, you get your knowledge and you go. That's the beginning of your journey. You know, learning wine is an experience. It's literally buying, tasting, learning. So getting a nice foundation of knowledge before you go out there and try to figure out what you want to do, whether you want to open a wine shop with that knowledge, a restaurant with that knowledge. Do you want to uh, be a consultant with that knowledge? but everything start you, the education's awesome but it's always the beginning of the journey as far as i'm concerned because i you know i did it myself it took me i've been in wine for over 20 years and i i learned just because of absolute obsession i kind of like doing it that way because if you do it through just pure obsession and just like going and finding books and just you know listening to wine one on one and drinking wine there's something wonderful about that. It really gives you, like when you accomplish something and you figure something out on your own, I don't know, it's kind of great. So there's nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with the educational system of wine, but like everything, it's the beginning of a journey. And the last thing is I've been asked often and I was asked specifically, how do I do this podcast? Well, it's just pure chaos, wine lovers. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm somebody who, You know, I'm I'm dyslexic and I have ADD and I need to write things down. So I research extensively. I start with a primary source material and then I branch out from there. And every piece of information I find, I write it down longhand in my uh, on legal pads. And then I look at those. (laughs) I take the legal pads apart and I just look at them on a table and I rearrange them. And I literally press record and I just riff. There are things that don't make it into the episodes because I try to go further with my research so that I can really get, give you a sense of what we're talking about. Cause even though I may not say it because I don't have the time to that piece of information really informs the information I'm giving you guys. But I stop, I start, I get many espressos. Yes, it's true. I do drink a lot of espressos, like maybe three per episode, sometimes four, depending on the subject matter. But yeah, it's like literally an ADD podcasting chaos, but it's kind of like organized chaos, you know? And finally, someone asked me a question that I found so fascinating that I had to look it up. They said, Can you please talk about how Australia has a phylloxera that has phylloxera, but they don't have a phylloxera problem? I mean, that's that's basically around the world. That's what's going on around the world. But we've grafted, you know, vitis vinifera onto American rootstock to fix that. But I looked into the Australian thing, and Australian wine people are some of the most innovative forward-thinking people in the wine world, full stop, period, all that. And what they do in Australia to, to control phylloxera is they monitor it rigorously, and they quarantine areas, and they have different categories of quarantine zones. So, for example, in New South Wales and in victoria there are phylloxera zones that have been declared and the quarantine boundaries are established to prevent the spread from known phylloxera infested zones which means p which is piz phylloxera infested zone piz they need to prevent the spread from those zones to the phylloxera exclusion zones the pezs and then they have these unknown zones called PRZs, which are phylloxera risk zones. And those risk zones are rigorously monitored just in case they become an infection zone. I'm not sure if anyone else is doing this. So in New South Wales, they have two phylloxera infected zones that have been declared with the rest of New South Wales being declared as a phylloxera exclusion zone. And that's the quarantine. I wonder if, like, we're doing that. I can look into that. Okay, that was fun. I wish I had more time to do more of these. I'm going to save some of the questions from this season that I couldn't get to, and when we do our listener episode next season, I'll try to put some of those in. So, okay, guys, next week, we're going to Italy. Are you excited? You know I am. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. Day. See you next week. ENJ Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.